the forgiveness of God, that which God can, will, and wants to forgive, knows only the limit of His immeasurable character, His immeasurable grace, and the limit of what Jesus did on the cross. It's worth our time just to pause for a minute and just reflect upon what the, what the scriptures teach us that is required of us in order for this redemption, for this forgiveness, for this banishing of our guilt to take place. Uh, so we don't need to chase all these scriptures down, but just we can look real quickly at these four requirements and you can sort of break these down differently if you want, maybe come up with three or five or six, but you get the basic idea. First, in order for the forgiveness of our trespasses to come to us, the Bible teaches us that the sinner must be convicted and convinced, I'm sorry, in their mind that they have sinned against God. It is not enough to be convinced that you have sinned against a person. So you you cannot go to God with genuine repentance when all that your soul is convicted of is sinning against a person. If I sin against you, Miranda, and I go to Miss Sharon and say, Sharon, will you please forgive me for what I said about Miranda? You would say to me, that's ridiculous. You need her forgiveness, not mine. And so if in our hearts we are only guilty of sinning against a person and we go to God for forgiveness without the sense, without the understanding that it is against God we have sinned, against His image, we have sinned against an image bearer, then the Bible tells us that that is not full and genuine repentance. Secondly, the sinner must also have a sincere, holy, and earnest resolve to never commit that sin again, regardless, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the strain, regardless of the resolve that it requires. I'm going to guess that everybody in the room can resonate with what I'm about to say. Do you know what it's like to be convicted of a sin and to repent and go before God and in the darkest corner of your heart, that this is a sin that you love. And this is a sin that you're torn. You want to give it up. But then there is just a part of you that loves it. And in your heart, you confess that sin and you proclaim to God, I will turn from that sin. But down deep in your heart, what you mean is until the temptation reaches a certain point, I will then give in again. You know what I'm talking about? To know deep in your heart, that you will choose that sin again. It just needs to reach a certain level of temptation. That's not genuine repentance. Genuine repentance requires that the sinner resolve in their heart. Now, resolving in our heart and doing in reality are two different things. But resolving in our heart, come what may, I turn from that sin for now and forevermore. So that's number two. Number three, the sinner must possess faith that God can, will, and, here's the key, desires to forgive your sin. We do not come before God with genuine repentance, with this idea that we are somehow convincing God to forgive us, or coercing God to forgive us, or uh, uh, pleading with God to change His mind and forgive us. The sinner who comes before God with genuine repentance knows, has faith, believes in their heart, God wants to do nothing more than to forgive the repentant sinner. 
God wants to forgive the repentant sinner so deeply that He gave His Son in order to make that doable. So we come before God understanding by faith that not only can He, not only will He, but He wants to forgive us. And then lastly, number four, the sinner must be in a state of forgiveness towards all who have sinned against him, or at least the earnest desire to be in a state of forgiveness to all who have sinned against them. We know this from the teaching of the New Testament where Jesus teaches us that if we withhold forgiveness from others, then our Father is not forthcoming in His forgiveness to us. We can talk much more about that, about how all of these, all of these are a byproduct of forgiveness. However, the New Testament does teach us that if we hold sin in our heart against others, then God will not be forthcoming in His forgiveness to us. So those are just on a side note it's right for us to point those out as we are talking about the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so that, that completes for us the first phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now the second phrase, and this is where, this is where the real pay dirt of this section of scripture is. According to the riches of his grace. So Paul has just told us we have redemption in his blood. And that redemption is not just the purchasing out of slavery to sin, but it is also the forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, the sin that puts you into bondage, you are not just removed from the penalty of the sin, you're removed from the guilt of it. Then he says, according to the riches of His grace. In other words, Paul is giving us a measurement of the extent of the forgiveness of God. He's saying to us, this is the extent. This is the measurement. This is how we quantify the forgiveness of God. The qualifying, quantifying, measuring aspect of God's forgiveness is the riches of His grace. No other letter in the New Testament talks to us about the wealth of God like Ephesians. The riches of His grace. His immeasurable grace. Later on, Paul is going to say, God who is rich in mercy. No other, just the next phrase that we're going to get to next, next week, uh, that he has lavished upon us. The letter is filled with words that bring to us this imagery of a God with immeasurable wealth. Not just physical wealth, of course, but the wealth of his character the wealth of His grace, the wealth of His mercies. So that's the measurement of God's forgiveness, of His ability, of His willingness, and of His desire to forgive sinners. And the measurement is not a human yardstick. It's not a human scale. It is the measurement of the riches of His grace. If we want to give something to someone, Maybe there is a hungry family in the neighborhood, in the area, and you want to give them something for Christmas. Then what you have to do is you have to look to what resources you have. We don't say, oh, there's this family, there's this really precious family that just I would just love to give them a million dollars. Let's do that. We first must look and say, what can we do? What are our resources? What can we give? And that is true for all of humanity. For God to extend forgiveness to us, He does the same thing. But He looks to His character. 
He looks to His grace. How much can I forgive, says God? Well, let me look and see how much grace I have. And the supply, the resource, knows no limit according to the riches of His grace. Look at Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. By the way, what's all that language about? Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts, returning to the Lord. That's all repentance language, isn't it? All of that is repentance language so that He may have compassion on on Him and to our God. And here's the point. For He will abundantly pardon. So, in your notes here, I just put some thoughts down. These are what the forgiveness of God is not measured by. The forgiveness of God is measured not by the character of the repentant sinner. The character of the person seeking forgiveness puts no limitation on the forgiveness that God gives. The genuineness of the repentance, the genuineness, the heartfelt genuineness of that repentance puts no limitation on God's forgiveness that He gives. You can't be more genuine in your repentance and then earn more forgiveness. If you have a terrible sin to confess, you don't need a greater measure of genuineness in order to receive forgiveness. Because God's forgiveness is not measured by the authenticity of our repentance. It's not measured or not limited by the quantifiable life change of the sinner. We are not forgiven of more because our life has changed for the better. God does not forgive us with greater grace because our life has shown more change. The public confession of the sinner. Our our forgiveness is not measured by our public confession. Esau, we're told in the book of Hebrews, sought repentance with tears. And it was not granted. So the publicness, the the desperate confession of the sinner or the reparations made by the sinner to the one who sinned against. Judas took his money and gave it back. Whatever reparations we might make for the consequences of our sin to those whom we have hurt does not gain us the forgiveness of God. That's That's a Roman Catholic concept. That's the Roman Catholic concept of penance. You do penance and you receive forgiveness for this, hogwash. We can bring to God mountains of gold. We can bring to God truckloads of silver. And that is not the measurement of His forgiveness towards us. Now, let's be clear about this. All of those things are the result of forgiveness. All of those things should result from forgiveness. But none of those things are the measurement of what God does forgive. What is the measurement of God's forgiveness? His character. His character. His grace. His character is the measurement of what God can, will, and desires to forgive. What about this? The forgiveness of the Father. What's, what, does it, what is it limited by? 
What is the extent of what God can and will forgive? What limits His forgiveness? Well, it's not the length of time spent in sin. I heard a story just before the service about a young man who just passed away after living a, a terrible life. Or we know the story of the thief on the cross. Spent his entire life up to the last hour or so. Or what of the Apostle Paul? What, what about the heinousnesses of, of our sins prior to our repentance? The Apostle Paul put Christians to death. The heinousness of our sin does not limit God's forgiveness, nor does the strength or the vitality of the sinner's faith. God's forgiveness is not limited by how much faith we have. The Scriptures tell us that all we need is a faith as a mustard seed. Or the woman thought that all I've got to do is just touch the hem of His garment. It's not limited by our faith. We can't believe to a greater degree and receive forgiveness that we would not have received without faith to that degree. It is limited only by the character of God and the sacrificial death of the Son of God. That's another way of saying the forgiveness of God, that which God can, will, and wants to forgive, knows only the limit of His immeasurable character, His immeasurable grace, and the limit of what Jesus did on the cross. When the blood of Jesus reaches its limit, that's the limit of God's forgiveness. In other words, there is no limit. Spurgeon said this, God will be none the richer if He withholds His forgiveness, and He'll be none the poorer if He gives it to the entire world. If God were to forgive every sin ever committed, if every sinner repented and placed faith in Jesus Christ, and God forgave every sin ever committed, He would be no poorer. He would have no less grace. He would have no less resource to forgive. If no sinner ever repented, if Jesus dies on the cross, sheds His blood, and nobody ever believes, and nobody ever repents, and nobody ever receives forgiveness, God is not richer because He didn't extend any forgiveness. Because His forgiveness is immeasurable. We must look to our bank account and see what we can do. God looks to His character and sees no bottom to that sees no limit to that. It is according to the riches of His grace. God's forgiveness is far wider, it's far deeper, it's far more comprehensive, and it's far freer than we often lead ourselves to believe. 